You know, <clears throat> if you walk with the Lord um, long enough or you just live this life long enough, you will go through times of burnout. It's just going to happen um, in your life. Uh, I can remember at least three times when I've been burned out. And I'll talk about what that means in a minute. But where, you know, you're just really in a deep, dark, and struggling place. One time when I was in a time like that, I pulled up a sermon on 1 Kings 19 preached by Tim Keller that served to greatly encourage me. Uh, This is probably in 2020 at some point, maybe even in 2019. I can't really remember But I remember listening to the podcast, and so uh, I've only listened to it once, but this may sound similar to his sermon. I I can't be sure. Um, During 2020, it was very hard to lead, hard to to lead your family, uh, hard to lead in your company, hard to lead in the community, hard to lead in the church. And 2020 was a hard year. And in 2021, in January, the elders uh, who remained at Trinity Park at that time gathered outdoors uh, it was about 45 degrees, and the wind was blowing, and Claire was there, and I was looking over at Claire um, and wondering how he was how he was doing it. But we, we sat out there for about eight hours together, and a lot of the time we spent was in 1 Kings 19, and how God meets us in our times when we feel very thin. We don't, we don't have a lot left to give. Where is the Lord in times of burnout? You know, for me... Um, If you know something about me, I spent time overseas, seven years I spent in China. And before you go to the mission field, good organizations will give you a lot of personality tests uh, to help you understand yourself and for them to understand whether or not you should go and if you go, what kind of support you need. One of the tests I took was called the Berkman. The Berkman does a lot of things, but it measures your usual behavior against your stress behavior. It's actually very helpful to know. My usual behavior in terms of energy and capacity, is in the 99th percentile. So when I'm doing well, I can get a whole lot done. But when I'm stressed, my behavior descends to about 40%. In terms of, I have about 40% of the energy that I normally have when I'm stressed out. That means when I get stressed, it's pretty obvious. I move from 99 to 40. People that know me well know that I'm stressed because I pull away I start to really examine my commitments. I start to plan more, and I move more toward people and less away from being task-oriented. Now, Olivia, interestingly, is the opposite of me in this. So her uh, normal uh, capacity is still high, not quite as high as mine, but when she is stressed, she actually gets more busy. She actually does a lot more stuff. She gets a lot of things. She gets things done, things she might normally not get done, maybe things she doesn't need to be doing. And so when we're married and we're both stressed, it's really interesting because I'm pulling back and going, I don't want to do very much. And she's blowing ahead and going, we can get all of these things done. And this is both ways that we try to alleviate our stress. I wonder how you are usually. What's your usual behavior? How has God created you in normal times? And then where do you go in times of stress? Some people, depending on how God has made them, they don't change that much, interestingly. They, their normal behavior is like 50%, and when they're stressed, they go to like 48% or 60%. And you don't really know. There's not a huge difference, and it's hard in that time because you don't know when they're stressed out or not. It's harder to navigate that situation. 
But it's important to know how God made you. What's your usual energy, your capacity? Where do you go in stress? And then when you stay in stress for a long time and that stress is not alleviated, something else can happen. You move from stress into burnout. When stress is not alleviated, you don't take care of yourself for a long time, you can move into a time of burnout. And in this passage, we find Elijah burned out. We find this man burned out. We find him on the edge. When you're burned out, it's an important place to be. It can be a dangerous place to be. But it can also be a place where you experience the grace of God in your weakness in a way that can transform your relationship with God. The big question for us is when we're burned out, where is God? How does he feel about us when we're burned out? It's, it's the million-dollar question. For me, when my normal, usual capacity is super high, when I feel burned out and my capacity is super low, I feel worthless. I don't feel as important. I don't feel like I can make the same contributions. And I feel like that I would be loved less when I'm burned out. But that's not the case with God. When we're burned out, the Lord moves toward us in our weakness to assure us of his personal grace. And it's a grace that we need to learn to receive from God. I'm going to say that again. God moves toward us in our weakness. He assures us with a personal grace, but it's a grace that we must learn to receive from God. So first of all today, let's talk about knowing the signs of burnout. Knowing the signs of burnout. We see this in Elijah. So chapter 19 begins with Jezebel's rage. Uh, Elijah has just uh, killed about 850 of the prophets. Somehow God struck them down. He won this giant battle on Mount Carmel. And Jezebel is infuriated. You find Elijah, who was so courageous in chapter 18, now not so courageous in chapter 19. He's running for his life. He is, he's running away. Actually, he runs about 100 miles somehow. This guy can really run. He runs all the way down to Beersheba from Jezreel. And he finds himself there, and we see some signs of burnout. Look how poor of a state this man finds himself in. So he goes down there with his servant, but he leaves his servant. He isolates himself. He goes by himself into the wilderness. Anyone who hikes knows that's stupid. You don't hike alone, especially when you just ran 100 miles. But he goes out, he starts making really bad decisions. He's not necessarily suicidal, but he's close. He's not ready to kill himself, but he would like for God to kill him, he says. He wants to die. He is misunderstanding reality. He says, it is enough. I am no better than my father's. Take my life. Now, on one hand, it's true that Elijah is a sinner, just like you and me. But on the other hand, it is not a comprehensive assessment of Elijah's life that he is no better than his father's. In fact, he is. He has been a very faithful prophet. Where others have not been faithful, he actually has been faithful in a faithful sage. He has been faithful in unbelievable ways. And God has showed up in his ministry and has done amazing things in Elijah's ministry. But Elijah can't see that right now. 
He feels worthless. He feels meaningless. I might as well die. God, take me. And then he lays down and he sleeps involuntarily. This guy is totally fried. He's exhausted. He's at the end of his margin. How can we understand the state that Elijah finds himself in, particularly the change from chapter 18? Well, we can understand that Elijah has been running really hard for a really long time. He's been under spiritual pressure, standing up for the Lord in a faithless age. He's been under physical pressure. Remember, he's running around and traveling. He himself endured a drought. He's lived outside by a brook. He's had to go in all kinds of ridiculous situations that God has put him in. He's under relational pressure. He's been doing most of this alone, and he's been under ministry pressure, and all of this has taken a huge toll on him. Now, none of us have been through what Elijah went through exactly, but if you've been alive for the last three years, you have been through your own version of, of great hardship. This pandemic has been hard. You may have been sick. You may have been sick a lot. You may have had a family that's been sick a lot. You may have lost loved ones during this season. You may have experienced relational hurt in this church or in the previous church that you came from or in your family, your family of origin. Maybe even in your own marriage, you've had differences about how you would deal, how you want to deal with COVID. You may have lost long-term friendships with people based on the differences that you had politically or with regard to responding to COVID or with regard to something else. You may have had to endure online school in high school or middle school or elementary school. You may have experienced economic stress because you lost your job. On top of these pressures, you may have had a unique stress that you dealt with, like did you move during the pandemic? Did you try to rebuild your community during the pandemic? Did you struggle with mental health during the pandemic? All of these things are very hard. In the midst of all of this chaos, were you leading in some way? Were you leading your family? Were you leading in your company? Were you leading in the community? Were you leading in this church? Were you leading in some way? If so, particularly if you were leading in this church, it was even harder for you because you were trying to balance the best decisions that you could make that kept both of the great commandments in full scope. How can we worship God together and how can we love our neighbor? How can we do both? It was hard. And so you experienced this stress. Some of you now, maybe already, and you've moved through it, or maybe now you're feeling burned out. And it's important to understand where is God for us in the midst of a time like that. I can assure you, and like I've said, I've been there before. I've been there before. Where is God in burnout? I can assure you that God moves toward you with a personal grace in your weariness, a grace that he wants you to receive from him. So let's talk about how God restores the burned out. So there are four ways that God moves toward Elijah, personal ways to restore him in this time of burnout. First of all, he restores Elijah physically. He restores Elijah physically. Now, hold on a second. I don't think that we would have anticipated that. 
I think we would have anticipated that first, God would move toward Elijah spiritually. That God might send him a couple of Bible verses. Somebody might send him an encouraging text message uh, from the Bible. Or maybe there's a book on how to walk through burnout with, with some Bible verses. Or maybe there's a new praise song that came out that he can sing about God. Maybe, uh, maybe in his personal time of prayer, the Holy Spirit's just going to overcome him and encourage him. And that's not what happens first. What happens first is God restores Elijah physically. He knows when we are exhausted. He knows when we are tired. God knows our frame. It says in Psalm 103, 14, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God knows you, and he created you, and he knows that you are made from the dust. Dust is a lot of things, but dust does not have unlimited capacity. Dust is a lot of things, but dust is not inexhaustible. Dust is a lot of things, but dust is not infinite. He knows your frame, and he knows that you are dust. Psalm 139, 1 and 2. Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You are familiar with all of my ways. God knew Elijah, and he knew all the stress that he had been under. He knew Elijah better than Elijah knew himself. And so when Elijah passes out in the wilderness out of exhaustion, He does something beautiful for Elijah, this man who is physically broken down. God sends an angel to him, not to preach the gospel to him, not to remind him of Bible verses. He sends an angel to him to do what? To bake him a meal, a loaf of bread in the wilderness. Because God knows what Elijah needs more than anything else at that moment in time is a loaf of bread. That's what Elijah needs. He needs food. And and the angel also brings him a jar of water. And the angel wakes him up and he says, Elijah, take and eat. And he, after Elijah comes to and he rolls over and, and gets the cake, he eats part of it and he goes back to sleep. And he sleeps for a long time. And then the angel wakes him up again. And it's beautiful to see the compassion of the Lord here through the angel Listen, angels, all they do is watch God all the time. And so what the angel is doing is what God would do in this situation. And the angel says, arise and eat, Elijah, for the journey is too great for you. God knows Elijah. He knows the journey has been too hard for him. And he's compassionate to him. So he restores Elijah first physically. Then he restores Elijah spiritually. Now that Elijah is in a physical place where he can receive the spiritual good news that God wants to bring to him, God then moves toward Elijah. So Elijah is called to go to Mount Horeb, which is called the Mount of God. So God directs Elijah to the place where God's physical presence dwelt at that time, or spiritual presence dwelt at that time. And so it's a little bit of a discontinuity from our experience. Uh, We have God in us. We have God through his word and by his spirit, so we don't need to journey to a particular mountain anywhere, which is really nice. God's with us, so we don't have to go anywhere. But Elijah's there. What we can learn here is that when we're burned out, God wants to connect with us on a personal spiritual level. He wants to commune with us personally, and that's amazing. So notice the question God asks of Elijah. 
He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Of course, God knows why he's there. God doesn't need to know the answer to that question. We just read Psalm 139. He knows everything about what's going on with us. Why does he ask the question? Well, he wants to hear Elijah's answer for Elijah's sake. He wants Elijah to say what his answer is to the question. He wants Elijah and he wants you and I to come to him honestly. And Elijah's answer shows the burnout of his soul. Listen to him. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Look at his response with me. First of all, he's very preoccupied with himself. He's been so faithful to God. He and he alone. He's down on everyone else. No one else has been faithful to God like I have been faithful. His, per, his perspective is skewed about other people. He's thinking too much about himself, and he's down on God. For his faithfulness, he says, I've been rewarded with a plot against me to take my life, led and funded by the queen. He's consumed with all of these things. I'm faithful, others are not faithful, and God, I'm not sure if you're faithful. And that shows That shows where he is in this moment. Now, Elijah can't see God clearly in this moment. And if you're following after God and you've made a lot of decisions in your life contingent upon the existence and the presence of God, but then God is quiet to you and you're not experiencing God, suddenly your life begins to not make much sense. If God isn't present with me, if he's not a help to me, and I've made all these decisions to get here based on how I believe in God, then where am I right now? And what do I do with this? God is the keystone that makes everything in Elijah's life make sense, cohere with purpose and meaning, but he's lost his vision of God. But look at God in this situation. God does not rebuke Elijah for his lack of faith. He does not. Sometimes when I I think I'm going to be really honest with God, I'm afraid to be honest with God because I'm afraid he's going to come down on me in some way if I don't say the perfect thing back to him that he really wants to hear from me. Even though I know, God already knows uh, what I'm really thinking. But God doesn't rebuke Elijah for his lack of faith. No, God moves toward him. Look how God moves toward him. First of all, in a strong wind, then in an earthquake, then in a fire. But it says that God was not in any of those powerful manifestations. I think this is really interesting. Because Elijah has experienced God recently in supernatural phenomena. He's seen fire fall from the sky. He's seen God do all kinds of things. But that's not what Elijah needs right now. Elijah doesn't need another drought to end or fire to fall from the sky. He needs to know God personally, deeply in his soul. And that's how the Lord begins to move toward Elijah Now, God knew what Elijah needed. He needed God himself. And so after all of this, God reveals himself in a whisper. I want you to think about the significance of this. A whisper is a spoken word. Is it not? When someone whispers to you, is it not a spoken word? The spoken word of God is an extension of God himself. But look at how God comes to Elijah in his weariness and in his weakness God speaks to him gently. 
kindly, lovingly, humbly, in a whisper. God speaks to his soul. You know, when we're strong, it's easy for us, even those of us who really believe the gospel and believe that God loves us, not based on our performance, but based on his grace, it's still easy for us to believe that when we're doing well and performing well, that God loves us more than when we're not. It's something that we really struggle with. But here's Elijah, and God sees him, and not in a place just of burnout, but in this incredibly important place of spiritual transformation. Because now Elijah, who is quite amazing as a prophet of God, is at the end of himself. And at the end of himself, maybe Elijah can experience God in his weakness, God in his grace, God in a thin silence is another way. When, when, when life feels so thin, it says, is another translation of that word, a, a whisper. God speaks to our hearts, and it can change us by his grace. So then God asked Elijah the same question again. This happens throughout the Bible, by the way. You can find this in other narratives. God often asks us the same question over and over again. He asked the disciples a few times, too. But he says, what are you doing here, Elijah, second time? And Elijah gives the same answer. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, it's impossible for us to know whether or not Elijah's tone has changed. That's one of the hard things about reading the Bible. You can give the same answer, but you say it differently the second time. For me, I have to imagine that the first time he says it, he's angry. He's at the end. He's frustrated with God. He's frustrated with his circumstances. Maybe now he's not angry anymore. Maybe he's just being honest without all the freight that came with it the first time. It's impossible to know exactly whether or not his tone has changed, though, because oftentimes for our response to God to change, it takes longer than just a minute. Sometimes it takes a few months. Sometimes it takes a while. I don't know what went on with Elijah, but he's beginning an important process of spiritual restoration. So he restores Elijah physically and then spiritually, and now he moves on to a third personal way of restoring Elijah. He restores Elijah vocationally, vocationally. Now, vocation is another word for calling. Calling has a Godward aspect to it. It's more than your job. It's why God created you to glorify him. Uh, Claire actually leads a group called Unique in our church that helps people understand themselves better, how God uniquely made them in terms of their calling. I would encourage you the next time there's an opening available for men or women to think about that. But Elijah here is not just struggling physically and spiritually. He's struggling vocationally. He's beginning to wonder whether or not his time is up, whether or not he's washed up and God might be moving on, done with him. I mean, he's wondering if he's better off dead, if he's going to be killed by Jezebel and her minions. He's wondering if his prophet days are over. But God, after restoring him physically and spiritually, also restores him vocationally. God isn't finished with Elijah yet. In fact, Maybe God's just getting started in some ways because now Elijah's going to understand his grace more than he did before. And he might 
he might move him out in a, in a beautiful direction. You know, oftentimes when we're in a time of burnout, we start considering making major life decisions. Maybe I need a new wife or husband. Maybe I need a new house. Maybe I need to move to another country, to another state. Um, Maybe I need to change jobs. Maybe I need to change churches. I know people that have made literally all of those decisions in the pandemic. And I can assure you that their problems are still with them. Because the problems are internal. The problems are not external. And that's what needs to change so badly. It's a terrible time to make massive life decisions when you're crushed in burnout. Instead, you should let God restore you and see what he does with you. He may take you in a different direction, but you should take your time. Let me tell you, we are also tempted to believe that an episode of burnout is a reason for disqualification for ministry. Oh, if I got to this place emotionally or spiritually, maybe I'm not qualified to be in the ministry. That's just not the case. That's not what God does with Elijah here. And so God restores Elijah. He, part of his job is to anoint kings, so he goes and anoints a king over Syria. Syria. Uh, part of his job is to anoint a king. He, he anoints a king over Je, Jehu, over Judah. He anoints prophets. He anoints his follow-up prophet, Elisha. His ministry days are not over. The episode of burnout did not disqualify him from ministry. Now that he knows God's grace, he's actually more prepared to be a minister. And he also finally, not just physically or spiritually or vocationally, he restores Elijah relationally. Can you hear in his twofold response to the same question, the loneliness and isolation that is just screaming out from Elijah? I and I only, I and I only, I only, no one else has been faithful. I only, I only. This guy is so lonely. He's been doing most of this alone. And the final way that God restores Elijah is relational. God realizes he's lonely and needs companionship for the journey. Perhaps he'd never needed or he hadn't realized he needed this kind of deep connection before but he needs it now because he's alone, and he's been alone for a long time. So first, God encourages them in verse 18 that there are at least 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed their knee to Baal. His ministry has not been ineffective. There are other believers. He hasn't seen them in a while, but God's assuring him that there are other believers out there. But more importantly than that, God is bringing him Elisha, who's not just his successor, but will be a companion for him in ministry. He'll travel with Elisha. He'll eat meals with Elisha. He'll pray with Elisha. He'll receive encouragement from Elisha. He can train Elisha. Having that camaraderie is going to be important for him, and it answers a core need of loneliness in his soul. Verse 21 says that they left out together, and Elisha assisted him, and that must have felt really good to have an assistant, someone with him in the journey. So how to respond to God's restoring love? This is the third point. How do you respond to God's restoring love if you're burned out? How do you respond? Well, let's talk about responding to God's physical restoration. If you're tired, you need to sleep. Sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. If you're hungry, you should eat. 
You should take lunch breaks if you work too much. If God gives you the opportunity, if he gives you vacation days, you should use them. That's good. You should travel. If you have money and you can travel somewhere, you should go. That's a good thing. God gave you those gifts. You need to see those needs as real needs that you have. You need to see those gifts from God, that cake he lays in front of you, that water, that jar of water that he gives to you. You need to see that as a gift from God. How dare you not take it if God gives it to you? You might be so interested in your spiritual restoration, but like Elijah, you may need to be restored physically before you can really apprehend what God wants to communicate to you spiritually. You need to learn to be able to rest. If you're in a really burned out place physically, then you need to focus on that first because maybe God is focused on that first. Maybe God for the longest time has been like, I want you to be able to keep a better rhythm of work and rest. I want you to not be a workaholic. I want you to take Sundays off. And you've been like, okay, that's cool, but I don't need that right now. But actually God's saying, no, you know, I actually created you that way. You actually do need to take a break on Sundays. Or pick a day if you have to work on Sundays, I have to work on Sundays, I have to pick another day. Pick a day, rest. Six days you shall labor, one day you shall rest. You should rest. Take a nap, eat something good, enjoy it. Then we can learn to respond to God's spiritual restoration. Sometimes you don't need a massive display of power from God. If God were to show up in some powerful way in your life, you you may or may not even see it. Uh, You need God to work on your soul. You need to believe that God really cares for you in your weakness. God really does love you. He really does move toward you with a gentle whisper. You may, you may believe that when you're burned out, that, that your, your exhaustion in that, that God will respond to you and be angry and rebuke you for your tiredness. You might even, if you've, you're tired because you've been leading in some way, that God might be angry with you or frustrated with you because you got tired. That's just not how God responds. This is not, he's not like us. He's not like your boss. He's not like your dad, perhaps. He's not like that coach you had that you think about that was a slave driver. He's not like that. He moves toward you with a gentle whisper. Tell God where you are today. If you're stressed out or burned out, he already knows. He wants to know where you really are. Not so that he can lay into you, so he can love you and speak to you with a gentle whisper. Weakness is often the place of our greatest transformation. We don't want to be there. We never do. But God meets us there and transforms us for the journey ahead. Sorry, I've had a cold. I'm taking all kinds of cold medicine, so I'm a little bit dried out here. Uh, Responding to God's vocational restoration. You know, one of the amazing things that we find here, I mentioned this before, is that God doesn't uh, move away from Elijah in terms of his ministry. In fact, the tireder he is, the more God wants to meet him with his grace, and God continues to call Elijah to follow him. You know, for those who experience God's grace in weakness, we get to join God in the greatest journey, the, the journey of the Great Commission. You know, God really isn't very interested in self-assured, self 
self-dependent people to follow him. He would much rather have someone who is humble, who understands how much grace they need from God. So God in burnout doesn't remove our calling, but he moves us forward in our calling. And then finally, the fourth way is relational restoration. Part of the cry of the soul in burnout is this, am I really alone? Does anyone understand me? It's been a cry that's been there for the centuries. David said in Psalm 142.4 when he was in a cave alone in the wilderness, no one cares for my soul. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.16, the last chapter he ever wrote, everyone has deserted me. That's how it can feel in burnout. In times like this, we really need to connect with the Lord personally, but we also need to connect with other Christians, other redeemed human beings. That's the way the Lord created us. We need friends, partners, people who will care for our souls, who will confirm the grace of God to us. The challenge for us when we're burned out is that it often is accompanied by a cynicism that if we were honest with other people about how hard it really is for us right now, if we were really vulnerable, then we would not receive love back from them. It's this wicked way that burnout kind of works, that when we need people the most, we're the least likely to reach out because we just don't feel like we have any energy to do it. And we believe if we did, maybe it would cost us more because we wouldn't be loved back. But actually, God still calls us to move forward, and he brings people into our lives. Like for Elijah, Elisha, he brings people into your life, people in this church, maybe people outside of this church, but people that you need to know love you. You have to, even though you feel so worthless on the inside when you're burned out, it's important to be vulnerable and to tell people that you feel like you can trust in the church. And I promise you there are people in this church who will love you well if you're honest. Maybe they'll even surprisingly love you more because they feel the same way you do. So how can we know for sure that this isn't just an isolated story hidden deep within the pages of Scripture? How can we know that this truth is for us and not just for Elijah? Well, God's movement toward Elijah in this chapter was embodied by Jesus Christ, was it not? Did he not come physically for us? We just celebrated his incarnation, how he became a human being. He suffered all of the miseries of this life, even death on a cross, so that we would know that there is no physical place that we can find ourselves in this world, that Jesus has not himself experienced that pain and brokenness. Jesus came also for us spiritually. He came not with fire and earthquake and wind, but he came with a whisper. Did he not whisper his grace to us on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is the whisper of Jesus Christ. He is the, the, the whispering Lord, the one who whispers to your soul, that gentle and lowly shepherd that says, I am with you. He came for us spiritually. He came for us vocationally. He calls his disciples and us to the greatest work of all, to join him in the furthering of his kingdom of grace. And he came for us relationally. He calls us into a personal relationship with him. One of my favorite, and I believe one of the most powerful verses in the Bible, 
John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. When we're burned out, we believe we're on the precipice. We believe that we, in a moment's notice, could be gone, even from the Lord. We feel like everything is about to leave, that the, the, the ground we're on is sinking sand, and Jesus says, I will never let go of you. I will never let go of your hand. He has you by the hand. You cannot perish. You have eternal life in him. So Jesus meets us in our burnout. He meets you physically, spiritually, vocationally, and relationally. This is amazing news, by the way, that we have a God like this. What other God meets people, broken people, people on the side of the road, totally broken down in life and says, you are my child. You are my disciple. Follow me. Extend my kingdom of grace. You're exactly what I'm looking for. Who else says that? There's no other God like him. Let's pray. The Lord, as pastor of this church, I'm well aware of many who needed to hear the sermon this morning. I'm also not aware of all those who needed to hear it. But I know that whether it's in the past, the present, or the future, we will be, we'll find ourselves in a place where we're burned out. And Lord, what a great gospel we have. That you are the Lord who doesn't retreat from us, recoil from us, rebuke us in our burnout, but you move toward us with a reassuring, redemptive grace that lifts us up and calls us forward. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. It's something that could not be contrived in the mind of a mere man, uh, but it was, it was thought up in your mind and in your heart. And we thank you that because you loved us, you sent your son Jesus to die for us so that we might have life in him. And I pray that anyone today who has never known that beautiful grace that comes to weak people, that they might receive your grace I pray for anyone who has believed that gospel many times before but needs to believe it again today. Would you send your spirit, impart your spirit to us that we might believe that you do love us, not for all of our um, positive things that we contribute, but you love us in our weakness. You love us by your grace. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we thank you that this is the gospel that we can live by and proclaim to the next generation even. In Jesus' name.